You know, I didn't go to art school in the, in which I was really self-conscious of for a long time. When you walk into Matt McCormick's studio, one of the first things you notice is the art that line the walls and creep up toward the ceilings. Almost every inch of wall space is filled with canvases of varying sizes. While the studio is small and quaint, the space's tall ceilings provide an open and relaxing setting. While dressed and talkative, Matt initially comes off as defiant if not confident. Throughout an afternoon of conversation, one thing notably present is a toothpick. It constantly shifts around, moving from one corner to another, never staying still for very long. The persona we encounter we suspect has long been a work in progress. His work draws heavily from his home state of California, but not in the traditional sense. It's not about palm trees and the cliches of Hollywood, but the renegades and risk-takers. Instead, the work is a throwback to the simplicity of human interactions outside of the glamour that often permeates and is elevated on a global pedestal. There's a certain rawness that accompanies Matt's work. It happens to align with the art world itself. You can line up all the right ingredients for a successful career. Going to the right school, showing to the right people, marketing your work. They're all factors that tip into what it means to make a career as an artist. But what determines whether you make it or not relies on more than just an innate talent. It's about how you interact with a quote-unquote market. It's how you choose to develop yourself throughout your career. Historically, you hear that, you know, galleries and collectors, it's all about your CV and, you know, and, uh, oh, he has a BFA from here and an MFA from here. And, and you know what, at the end of the day, like, yes, that's, that's an accomplishment for sure. I'm not downplaying that, but it's about what you do after that. Cause I've met plenty of people with BFAs and MFAs that don't do shit. Growing up, Matt had first-hand access to the world of art. Both his parents were involved in some shape or form, with his dad being a teacher and an accomplished painter in his own right. The large role that art played in his life didn't necessarily make for an obvious future. None of that seemed to matter when he was a kid. My dad taught art and also had a successful career as an artist, or still does. Um, and you're like, you don't want to listen to your dad. You're like... Yeah, you know, like he'd be like, hey, let me show you something on like a Saturday. Like I'll show you how to like draw faces today or like we'll do this. And, and he'd be like, and I'd be like, no, I'm going to go ride bikes around town with my friends or some shit like that. And so I kind of like pushed away, but like I definitely grew up going to shows, going to museums. You know, it was like, um, it was like on the, it was always there, obviously, when I was really little. I grew up in my parents' studio. They shared like a studio like this, but like twice the size, or at least, I don't know, looking back on it, it feels like it was twice the size. I don't know, I was a baby. But, you know, like my mom had the dark room in the garage, and my dad had the painting studio upstairs at our home in Marin, and, you know, it was just always there. It was, and it wasn't until later that I really was like, oh, like, a lot of my friends' dads are like miserable working like finance jobs or whatever, and my dad's like painting all day, so. When you're so close to something, it can be difficult to really get the perspective to understand it all. Matt would see the positive spirits of his dad set against the miserable lives of his friends' dads. This was an ideal situation, but something he didn't necessarily have an answer for. How do you make a career out of this? You know, and then it was another thing where I was like, Grew up watching it, so I was in it, but I also was like, how do you make that a career? Even though it was right in front of me, I was like, how does that work? And my first thought was, I could design. Like, that's what I'll do. And then I went to college for like a year and realized that was a 
not my path, but you know. Without any real direction or passion, Matt realized within a year that it was time to leave. He would dedicate the next half decade to late nights and debauchery. I dropped out because I was like not interested in learning. I was interested in partying. So I was like, well, I'm gonna waste my money. So I went and got that out of my system for another five years while lightweight continuing education outside of the school system. And now I am learning more than I probably would have learned in school because I am enjoying it. Without any sort of resentment, Matt's a bit embarrassed he enjoys his new life with the books and the passion that accompanies it. But it always wasn't like this. These moments of personal time and clarity weren't always the norm. Matt doesn't shy away from what it was like in his past. That half decade in the nightlife world might have slowed him down in some ways, but they played a key role in allowing him to find his own. Even I tattooed for years before getting sober, but like, I didn't take it seriously. You know, I, I was... I learned how to tattoo. I worked at a nightclub in New York for five years and I learned how to tattoo on people from the bar and security guards that I worked with and people like that, you know, but it was like the extent of it pretty much occurred after 5 a.m., you know, pretty uh, intoxicated, you know, and, and so that's why I didn't progress because I was, it was like putting, you know, blurry, glasses on before you do anything, you know? Um, and I just wasn't driven, you know, I wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't motivated. I think, you know, I, it, look, there's no, this is nothing to people who do drink, smoke, drugs, whatever, you know what I mean? Fuck, I wish I could do that, you know? But I wasn't getting anything done and I saw such an immediate change as soon as I stopped that like all this took off so fast that I was like, oh, clearly that was kind of inhibiting my performance. It's funny how you need to hit the depths of despair before finding a new normal. It's this new normal that would serve as the foundation of his success, first as a tattoo artist and then as a fine art painter. I go home and I sit and I like chill and put some nice music on and I like read and, I, or, and, and my books are like my most prized possessions, whether it be a literary book or a, like a art photo book. You know, I feel like I'm learning more now because I'm excited about it. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's not everyone's path. And I have friends that went through the school system that are killing it in the art world and doing really well. And, um, but, you know, I just don't think there's one, one right way to do it, you know. As Matt's tattoo career started to take off, he wasn't about to turn his back on his past. His initial pop came off his tattoo work in the music and celebrity world. But what becomes interesting is that Matt wasn't afraid of the intellectual rigor that comes with great art. He was very much about combining all the different elements together, whether it was social media or art history. It's a, it's a, it's a complex web of a bunch of things. It's like, you know, if I want to be brutally honest with myself, okay, you know, I started getting some attention to my work because I was tattooing. And why was I getting attention to that? Well, I was tattooing rappers that I worked with, you know, if we're going to go on like an Instagram level. Now, that's not... I've taken the little attention I got for that and turned in my own attention, but like, you know, whatever, I'm not dumb. I had some friends who were famous that gave certain people an intro to my work, okay? So social network has something to do with it, you know? Like we said earlier, you could be the most talented artist in the world. No one knows who your work is. It doesn't really matter. Okay, so there's that. 
Well, then you got to have a foundation below that. So like, you got to like know some stuff. You got to like have an, I think it's important to have a knowledge of art history. I think it's important to have a knowledge of what came before you. So, you know, some education is important. How you get that education, I think is, can vary. Uh, and obviously like talent, but just being a great painter, I mean, most people we know this at this point, like doesn't mean you're gonna have a great career. There's plenty of people that could take a photograph and paint you exactly what you see in that photograph. And so it looks like a photograph, but that doesn't mean that the ideas people can attach onto. As Matt started to find his footing, it was a sense of what he calls brutal honesty that kept him grounded, but also informed his work in the beginning. It was these experiences that would influence the work at the start, but a bit of early visibility never hurt anybody, provided you could use it to your advantage. Tattooing could be seen as only a gateway to more profound opportunities. Eventually, Matt pushed tattooing to the wayside so he could simply focus on fine art. You know, that, that was the thing I was really afraid of. Like, I had a tattoo career, and I was like, fuck, I can't, like, be a tattooer and a fine artist. And I had to cut the tattooing out just to focus, you know? And I couldn't balance them both anymore, but, you know, a lot of people, I used to be really afraid of that. And a lot of people have been like, no, it's cool. It's part of your story. It's great, you know? So I don't know. I think the way I think about it is one way, and I think the way other people think about it is different. I think that the market, you know, the guys that buy art now are, some of them are younger, you know, or a lot of them are younger. That's why you see, like, someone like Raymond Pettibone becoming this elevated fine artist, even though he's like a punk flyers dude or a punk art guy for so long, well, the market is like younger. You know, it's guys that grew up listening to Black Flag and these kind of things. So like, and they have money, you know, and they want that art. So, you know, um, it's kind of, the market's changing, the collector's changing and, you know, but at the same time, like collectors usually start educating themselves and getting into the more highbrow stuff. Maybe they start lowbrow stuff and it's just like this, it's, it's all kind of molding together into one like kind of melting pot of culture. Looming in the back of his mind was also a sense of uncertainty of how people would view Matt's work. Knowing his background as a tattoo artist might discredit his highbrow work. At a time when the world of high and low were continually intersecting, whether it be fashion or design, the same reasons Matt needed to put down tattooing may no longer be the case. As we continue speaking with Matt, one thing really begins to surface. He really wanted it. He wanted to get sober. He really wanted to make art and to pursue a career, whether it be as a tattoo artist or a fine art painter. Regardless of whether he started late, it was an outlook on growing and progressing that would ultimately serve as his game plan. You can have all the education in the world, but like, it depends on what you do with that. And if you're just willing to go out there and just fucking do it, which back to corny inspirational speaker, but like, it's real, dude. Like, yeah. it, like that's, experience is 100%, you know? And like, if you want something, you're gonna fucking figure it out. You know what I mean? I wanted tattooing, I didn't have anyone to show me how to do it. So I just fucking figured it out, yeah. you know? And I'm not gonna say tattooing is like, super hard, super easy. I'm just gonna say like, it requires a lot of work to figure out tattooing. Probably more than most. But, you know, if you, it's, uh, you just kind of, yeah, you watch other people do it, you get tattooed, you know, uh, and then, like, you figure it out. Coming back to ideas of hitting the extremes and pulling back, there was a gradual readjustment both personally and in Matt's artwork. What proved to be interesting was the progression of Matt's own work between the earlier moments of his career and now. One thing that Matt had on his side is knowing the game and how to play it. 
Having said that, he parlayed some early successes and networked into something he could unapologetically leverage. There are moments where purity for some prevents people from moving forward. But for the sake of relevance and growing as an artist, and as an artist who wishes to be seen to a larger audience, you do what you need to do. I am also of the generation of artists that post art on Instagram, you know, which think what you may of it, it's a very viable tool nowadays. And, you know, if I post a painting and, and it's brand new and it's like nothing I've done and like no, it gets no reaction, I might think about it in a different light than if I were to post it and got an amazing reaction. Matt's also not shy to seek outside insights into his work to get a pulse on what others think. I also have what I always refer to as like my board of directors, which is like a few friends from like the higher side of the art world. Um, one from like a really blue chip gallery and one from like a emerging two blue chip gallery. And then like some friends that are collectors and like a, I don't know, a, a several different people, other artists. And I tend to run things by them all the time. I just like to get, a, I like to crowdsource like information. You wouldn't necessarily say that Matt lacks confidence so much as having a range of insights into the different vantage points within the art world. While Instagram or peers might overly influence some, it's merely part of a bucket of checks and balances. And I've noticed, whereas I used to sometimes go against what I thought, or that would happen a lot, now I, I you know, like recently, like my best friend, who I run everything by, uh, he was telling me not to do this abstraction on top of these images. And I was just like, no, I gotta do it, I gotta do it. And I used, I probably would have before, like, okay, won't do it. And then of course I sent him, he's like, that's the best painting you've ever done. You know, like, so, you know, I run things by people and I just like, I take it and with the internet and the Instagram, like I take that stuff too. But you know, at the end of the day, like you're making art because it's your vision. So like, I can't like hundred percent let people dictate what I do, but sure. I'm influenced by what's on the outside and, you know, and also watching friends careers. You know, I lived in New York for a long time and I was, you know, I was making work, but not nearly to level. And I watched a lot of friends of mine that were really young, like explode in the art world. And it was like a five plus year ride for these kids. That was like crazy. And, 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 uh, and I was able to see what happened with them and how things kind of turned and twisted and with the market and, and then other people, you know, that are older than me and seeing what's happened with them and, and, and like what, you know, there's others in my my family, like what I've seen my dad do and, you know, and other friends. And so I just try to kind of take a little bit of all of that into a form, inform the work, inform the career, inform, you know, all of it, you know, to kind of like make as many educated decisions as I can. A lot of the discussion up until this point is in reference to helping shape the creation of artwork. It can seem quite complex, but the beginnings of the ideas linked to more primal ways. Matt's work is anchored by emotion. Human emotion is one of the biggest themes in my work. One, because it's something I feel really comfortable talking about. And two, it's very relatable. I mean, as a, as a human being, we all, unless we're a sociopath, and even them, you know, like we experience human emotion, whether it be loneliness, sadness, happiness, joy, uh, you know, anger, frustration, all these, whatever, the, the whole spectrum of emotion. And, um, you know, I've, I've used lyrical quotes in work for years and 
someone the other day on the internet was like, you know, these make me feel really sad. And I was like, cool. I was like, good. I was like, better than not feeling anything. This part of the conversation was something that stuck out the most. It clearly defined Matt's outlook on his life and his work. This comfort in the sometimes uncontrollable side of human emotion and the ability to channel these personal moments is what creates such compelling work for Matt. Creating art can be situationally dependent. Your emotional state is what drives the work in a certain way. Self-awareness are the strings to your emotions. Uh, one of the themes I've really pushed on for a long time is just like brutal honesty with like my personal experience like in my work. So like the first paintings I was making when I felt like I was starting to make something worth looking at were these, what I refer to as story paintings, where I was just like taking experiences and then like taking mental screenshots, you know, and kind of like layering those images across the, the work. And whether or not the viewer was having the same experience that I had during that experience is kind of neither here nor there. It's just that that's what I have, so I'm going to make work about that. And that's evolved over time, you know what I mean? Matt's early work was heavily steeped in emotional baggage. The experiences that accompany his past would be an initial starting point for Matt's first bodies of work. Success wasn't necessarily about connection with a viewer, but rather Matt's own connection with his work. It was clear that the type of work that Matt began with, however dark it may be, would never ever be replicated again. His early work was... Those were all about that. that that's what I was basically kind of telling those tales through those paintings. And I was talking to my friend who was like, you should do more of those the other day. And I was like, I would love to, but it's, I was making those right fresh out the gate. And now it's been four and a half years. And so my like, you know, memory on the very specific details that are required for those paintings is fading away. So I'm less able to get super deep into those work. But um, it kind of, yeah, it, it's there. I, I had a lot of fun, right? And and I and and I had a lot of experiences. You know, someone like two days was like, "Oh my God, you've lived so many lives." I'm not gonna. I've lived one life, but like, you know, I've done a lot of wild, crazy shit because I, when you like, enjoy living the way I was for a long time, you get into some wild situations and it's great it's good it's good for this for sure and so you know i at the end of the day yeah i look back on it fond memories you know i've had a lot of friends die and and things happen you know that were dangerous or sketchy and you know but I don't know, i'm still here so it's okay i got out of it it's still very early into Matt's career, and the fact that he's established himself so quickly isn't about any sort of bullshit cliché about being a quick learner. The street smarts and life experiences are clearly an important, if not entirely obvious, part of his work. It was a source of friction and at times sorrow, but it also presented him with a spectrum of experiences and emotions. It's these forced interactions from the outside looking in allowing him a sense of control and the ability to channel any emotional underpinnings into his work. Luck is something we often consider in the face of any success, but at times it's overly simple to simplify the efforts and bravery of people simply sticking their neck out trying to make things happen. Uh, 
but it's no luck, you know. I, I put in a bunch of years of, I work every kind of job from cleaning fish cuts off a 35-year-old boat to pizza parlors to bartending to, you know, whatever. I've done a bunch of shit and, you know, not saying, like, I'm the hardest working man in the world, but, like, you know, I, I wasn't, like, handed a silver spoon and I also wasn't raised poorly either. It's just, you know, there's just things can happen the way they happen. And, and I just saw a goal and I finally was like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it, you know? And I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's hard work and you can produce your dreams if you just, but like really, it is really, you hear it all the time. It's because it's true, you know, in the, the sobriety stuff I do, it's filled with annoying, cheesy quotes. And the, I, over the last couple years, like really like accepted, like, oh yeah, there's a reason that they say these like one day at a time and you know, all these things because it's true. It's annoying. It's 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 annoyingly true. And and the quote you hear from successful people, like follow your dreams and all this kind of shit, like obviously there's more to it than that. But you know, like what I do now that I hope leads me to my successes. I just like keep telling myself something's gonna eventually happen so that maybe it happens. It's crazy how educational watching Bob Ross is as a painter. Like I'm not even kidding. I didn't grow up really watching it, but every once in a while I put it on to like fall asleep because it's like fucking visual heroin. That shit is like the most relaxing. It's so calming, right? So calming. His voice is like it's just like a warm hug from a 500 foot pillow uh but like you yeah like he's like like little things i've watched him do like one that i do all the time is the way i clean my brushes like i dip them in the the paint thinner and then i he does this where he's always smacking them out because yeah. it like unlodges all like the excess right. paint and i saw him do that and i've literally been doing it ever since I thought I had to finish paintings in a day every time. This artist I really like, um, Luke Tuimans, he doesn't spend more than a day on a painting. That's like his rule. And he's the fucking man. And I, and I had been doing that for a while, then I saw an interview with him and he talked about it. I was like, yeah, that's what you do. You don't spend more than a day on a painting. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why? I don't need to do this. Because there's also a bunch of annoying collectors like, how many hours did you spend on this? Oh yeah, all the time. They're like, how many hours do you spend on this? Like, like because if you spent 60 hours because you're slow at painting and you suck or whatever, it's somehow worth more. And I was telling my dad about that because I was making some work that was really quick. Like I could paint it really fast. And I, he was like, that shit's bullshit. He's like, you know, when people ask me how long a painting took, I say 65 years. <laughs> and I'm like, touche, old man. It's true though, like I couldn't have done this painting without doing that painting, you know, and like it's like a long, like it's all informing down the line each other. So it's kind of like, it's also just a fucking annoying ass question.